We turn in God's Word this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be reading starting at verse 14 down through the opening verse of chapter 7, which actually completes the thought. So the 14th verse of chapter 6 through the first verse of chapter 7. I want to thank the brothers, uh, Brother Ken, uh, this morning for leading part of the service, for Brother Brink for praying this evening, and uh, Lord willing, a couple of days off on a journey will uh, help voice as well. And I was reminded again by several of you that you don't have trouble hearing me when I wear a mic, so uh, I, I try to get that drilled into my mind as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion Does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. As far as the reading of God's Word. Let's bow in prayer again. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that we will truly uh, live a life honorable to you, that our bodies, that we will be careful uh, with our bodies and present them to you. We're thankful that you consider us to be sons and daughters. We ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob. If you'll be with his voice, be with Pastor Bob. He explains this portion of Scripture to us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Our focus is on that section, the end there of verse 16, where we are the temple of the living God. Everything else Paul has to say in this section to us by inspiration of the Spirit seems to center around that particular theme. So if we take your sermon outline, the the way I broke it down is this, and, and just as points of emphasis from that statement. First, that we are the temple of God. And we'll talk about what 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 does Paul mean by that expression? We are the temple of God. Secondly, that we are the temple of of God. What is the emphasis there? And then thirdly, that we are the temple of God. 
It's not a question. It's not maybe. It is and is. We are the temple of God. First of all then, what, what does it mean, this idea that we are the temple? Well, what Paul means by this expression is that God is the one who dwells within us, within our hearts, making then our body a temple. Some of the commentators talk about the fact that that as Paul is speaking about this, he actually is thinking back to the tabernacle, but perhaps more to Solomon's temple. And he's thinking of the idea that as we had this temple structure, the beauty of this temple, this building that was built by Solomon, inside of that, in that inner part, in that most holy place, in the we, we would say in the core, in the interior, in the deepest, most private place. That is where God in His glory dwelt between those cherubim. And because God dwelt in that inner room, the rest of the edifice is known as His temple. So when Paul says that we are the temple of God, what he means by that, once again, is that as believers okay, who, who love the Lord, who desire to serve the Lord, whose faith is in the Lord, the Lord is dwelling within us. And if the Lord is dwelling within, that makes all of us a temple. That makes not only the place where God dwells, that makes not only the soul holy, that makes not only the heart holy, that makes our entire being holy. Even as the temple, even though it wasn't the inner part, the rest of it is still known as the temple, the place where God dwells within. And that temple needed to be treated in a particular, with a particular reverence. That temple needed to be treated and understood as a place of holiness. It needed to be understood as a place of separation. And so Paul is using this illustration, this idea. Now this isn't the first time he's told the Corinthians this. The context, however, is, is slightly different. But let me just show you two other places. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look, at, we, we could actually say Paul has already defined what he means by it in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple... And that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy 
and you are that temple. Or we can go to chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here, Paul dealing with the issue of sexual immorality, picking it up at verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So we have the idea presented clearly, God is within through the Holy Spirit, but that makes our entire being then His temple, His habitation. The manner then by which this occurs is not because of our own holiness. It's not that we have some sort of innate holiness. It's not that we have some innate perfection. It's not because of our own goodness. The manner of God's taking residence up in us is through His Holy Spirit. It is that Holy Spirit that He gives and sends as a gift. That is by His grace. So we are reminded, you know, we are temples of God. Now that shouldn't lead us to any sort of arrogance. That shouldn't lead us to any sort of pride. It ought to instead lead us to a great deal of humility before the face of God, realizing that we ourselves could never be considered the temple of God. God could never take up residence within us. God in His holiness, God in His perfection, could not even be near us. But this is by God's grace. This is by God's work. This is in God's love that the manner in by which we claim to be temples of God is by His Holy Spirit. I want you to note, if we go back to this chapter here in 2 Corinthians now, I want you to note that there are blessings associated with this. The blessing of, one, I will dwell with them. Two, I will walk with them. Three, I will be their God. God is saying, because you are my temples, because I live within you, there is a blessing, a special blessing that rests upon you as my people. My own Holy Spirit dwells within you. You and I, God is saying, as believers in me, have a very special, unique relationship. The promise to dwell with them is exactly the same promise that God gave in Exodus chapter 25 to the people. That as they built the tabernacle, 
As that tabernacle structure is being built and commissioned by the Lord. The Lord says, we're building this because I want a place where I can dwell right in the midst of my people. Now God is saying, and I do that. Not in a tent, not in a building. I do that in you, in your body. I dwell with you. This morning we're, we're led to this amazing passage where we have the divinity taking on humanity and we're in awe over that which Christ did. Well, if that is in awe, think of this. That God takes up residence in us. That's the promise. Just as much as that tent was erected in the middle of the camp of the Israelites, so God says, I dwell with you. In Leviticus, as they're putting together all the sacrifices and they're putting together the priesthood and how it's going to function and how it's going to work, God comes to his people as they're going through the wilderness, as they're going to leave Mount Sinai, as they're on their way to Canaan. God comes and he says, not only am I going to walk with you, excuse me, not only will I dwell with you, I'm going to journey with you. I am going to walk with you. Every step you take, I am with you. Now, the people of Israel had that in a visual form, didn't they? They had that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. The one by day, the one by night. They always had that continual reminder of God's presence. Paul is now saying, that's what God is promising to you as the temple of God. Not only is he going to dwell, but he's going to walk with you through the journey of life. And he promised them that he would be their God. I'm going to look, just go with me in four passages. Let's start in the book of Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. We are in the midst of covenant making. We are in the midst of establishing covenant with Abram. Go down to Genesis 17, verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I promise, God is saying, I will be your God. Go to Exodus chapter 6. God's coming to Moses. 
He's making his promise of deliverance. Go to verse 6. Exodus 6, verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I promise I will be your God. Go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Go to verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. And the Word became flesh, John tells us, and tabernacled, dwelt amongst His people. Go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Verse 3, Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore where the former things have passed away. How remarkably consistent the Lord is. I will be your God. I covenant with you. I promise. Now you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And what is the Lord doing again? What is Paul saying? You're the temple of God. God says... I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to walk with you. And you shall be my people. You're my temple. I live with you. I dwell within you. I live within the midst of you. You're my people. We have a covenant of peace forever between us. Second point, we are the temple of God. We belong to Him is the point of emphasis. That we're not the temple of Belial. We are not the temple of Baal. 
We are not the temple of Asherah. We are not the temple of Moloch. We are the temple of God. We have been set apart by Him. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. The Lord calls us to be a separate people because you're my temple. Because you are my temple. Therefore, as a result, as a consequence, you need to separate yourselves from all others who would drive the reins of your life. From all others who would seek to take control of your emotions. Of all others who would seek to take control of your flesh. From all others who would seek to hold the reins of your will. You must separate yourself from all others. You must be my separate, distinct people. I dwell in you. You're my temple. Not only is he calling them to separate, verse 17, and touch no unclean thing. There is a call to being separate, but there is also a call to holiness. Touch not the unclean. Those are words that, that ring to us out of the book of Leviticus over and over and over again. That when, every, when anything was contaminated, the Israelites were told, touch not, touch not. If somebody's clothing became Corrupted by a disease. Touch not. If someone's tent became corrupted by mold. Touch not. Whatever it was that was pictured there in the book of Leviticus. As having some sort of imperfection that was a picture of sin. God came to his people and he said, don't have anything to do with that. Touch not. Don't even go up and go, hey, is this mold? Touch not. Stay away from. You're to have nothing to do with this. It was sin. It was a representation of sin. And it is Paul now calling us, calling the church of Corinth, calling us as Christians today, saying, Not only separate yourself, not only break those old alliances and allegiances to others who would have a desire to control your life, but you're not to be involved in sin. Touch not. Every once in a while, you hear of Various groups of Christians or individual Christians who will say, Hey, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I can involve myself in this particular sin. I'm a Christian. Therefore, I am allowed to do this particular sin. After all, it's cleansed anyway. I'm saved. God comes and He says, You're my temple. 
I dwell within you. My temple is holy. My temple is pure. Touch not the sinful thing. But there is also a call here for us to be understanding of life. See, and that's actually what's going on back in in verses 14 and 15. This call to an understanding, not just separation, not just holiness, but we've got to come to an understanding of the depth to which God is identifying this. Let's read those verses again. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. I think if we broke it down, we could break it down in this way. We could say, Paul is saying, because we are God's temple, it means we need to guard our relationships, our personal relationships. We need to guard our yoking together. You know, the picture there is of oxen, isn't it? And what Paul is picturing for us is, here is a set of oxen, and there is a yoke, and there is an ox on the yoke. The other side of the yoke is vacant. That pair of oxen is driven by pagan gods. There is another pair of oxen with a yoke. With one ox, with a place vacant. And that pair of oxen is driven by the Lord. Where are you as a believer going to go? Where are you going to be yoked? Paul says, don't be yoked in that relationship in which it is being driven by pagan gods. Don't involve yourself in that. Now, instead, we are to be yoked to the Lord God who has the reins of our life. Jesus didn't say, I don't have a yoke. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't say there isn't one. Where are we yoked? And in four areas, question. In your personal relationships with others. In your friendships. In your dating your marriages, do not be yoked with one who is not being driven by God. It's not a question. 
This is the Lord's will. This is what God desires. Why? Because you're a temple of God. You're one of God's holy temples. So in our relationships, in our personal relationships, we are not to involve ourselves in a yoking relationship that binds us to someone who is not under the yoke of Christ. But the same is said, not just of personal relationships, but of business relationships as well. For what partnership? And I believe Paul meant it specifically. He isn't repeating the same thing over and over and over again. He's helping the Corinthians to examine life and say, what are you doing with your personal relationships? How about your business relationships? Are you involved in business relationships, partnerships? Not just doing business with somebody, but you're actually in a partnership with somebody who is not a confessor of Jesus Christ. The reins of this business are going to go in two different directions. The person who is under the reign of paganism is going to drive that business in a direction that the Christian cannot allow that business to go. But also in our fellowships. Or what fellowship has light with darkness. So not here a personal relationship, not a business relationship, but some sort of organization, some sort of group in which there is some common ideas, some common thoughts, some common goal, but the most common, the most basic of those goals is not Christ. The call here is that we who are temples of the God are not to involve ourselves in a yoked relationship with those who are trying to take an organization, some group, some fellowship out there in a way that is not true to Christ. But then Paul gets to the real heart of what he's after here. These, these sorts of things are, yes, they're important. He's, he's definitely driving there. He's definitely... But this is not Paul's focus. Paul, Paul's primary goal is to get to the next step. He's using that, that marriage relationship, those personal friendship, as a means to get there. He, he's using... Okay, a business partnership to, to drive home the point. He's using a fellowship to drive the point home that there needs to be a distinction and a difference. But then he drives the point home most fully by saying, and in particular, in your worship. See, now he's talking to these Corinthians. And remember the Corinthian situation. Remember the environment. Remember all the things he wrote in 1 Corinthians about the food, sacrifice to idols, and, and all the circumstances that these Corinthian believers could get themselves into. Well, here's another one. Hey, why don't you come to the temple with us? 
Why don't you come to the temple of the goddess Athena? Come on along. I got prayer meeting? Ah, I promise what's happening at our temple is far more exciting. Oh, you got church that morning? Never mind. What's happening at the temple of Alphina is so much grander. Oh, come to us to the temple of Zeus. Come to us to this temple. Come to us to that temple. What does the temple of God, you as a Christian believer there in Corinth, have to do with the temple of of Satan. What do you have in common? What do you have in fellowship? These pagan deities come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unholy thing. Because you are the temple of God. Oh, my friends, that temptation is still here today, is it not? Temptation is still here. The cry of those on the streets of Corinth, oh, the temple to go to changes, the name of the God changes, but the voice, the calling, the begging, the pleading, the desire to draw us away as God's temple into immorality, into pagan worship, into idolatry of a variety of sorts is still there. Maybe it's not quite as direct as it would have been for a Corinthian believer living there in Corinth who could look out and see that temple up on the hill and know exactly what took place there, what filth, what immorality took place, or look off to the side and see the other temples that adorned the city of Corinth and know, oh yes, there was always laughter, yes, there was always feasting, yes, there was always fun and games in the temples but it was displeasing to the Lord. That voice still calls, doesn't it? What does God say? Ha, it's 2016, of course. Of course you as the temple of God can go and mix with the temple of pagans. Of course you can. Now the call of the Lord remains the same. Come out from among them and be separate and touch no unclean thing. But you know what makes this even sadder is that sometimes those voices are raised, my friends, not in the pagan streets, but in those that call themselves Christians. We had it again this week. We have it every year. This call that goes out to Christians and Muslims and Hindus and Jews and whoever else is out there. Come, 
come to this worship service where we'll join together and you each can thank the Lord in your own voice. The Lord only hears one voice from that gathering and it is the voice of the devil. It is the voice of evil. It is the voice of Belial. It is the voice of the serpent calls out and says, see God, aren't you pleased with your children here? God says, no. Come out from among them. Be my distinct people. Don't take in their unholy practices. Don't take in their ungodly practices. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Third point. We are the temple of God. That's who a believer is. If you're here tonight as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a temple of God. We talked a little bit about that with a youth group this morning uh, in terms of the work of Christ. That, that one of the things that happen is, is in this whole incarnation is that Christ willingly comes to obey the Father He comes willingly to suffer and to die. And the promise of God, the reward of God to the one who so willingly obeys Him is us. We're the reward. We are the treasured possession. We are the temple of God. Folks, no matter whether you read about the tabernacle, whether you read about Solomon's temple, whether you read about the rebuilt temple in the later prophets, or whether you read about Herod's temple, they were places of great beauty. That's what we are to God. We are the temple of God. That's what he says, right? Verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. Because we are, go to chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, what do we do? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Two points. One, since we are the temple of God, We need to be cleansing ourselves. This is a call to all believers. This is an exhortation. This is what we are to involve ourselves in. Now note, we already are the temple of God. This is not a justification act. This is not an act by which we have sins forgiven. This is the act that goes back in the book of Exodus to the ceremonial washings that you find in Exodus chapter 30. Every time there was that bronze basin that they have before the tabernacle, God said every time the priest comes, wash. Every time. Every time. I don't care, I don't care how many times you've done it. I don't care how many times a day you've done it. I don't care how many times a week you've done it. Every time you come and are going to perform some service in this tabernacle, you have to stop at that labor and you have to wash your hands. Now, did that cleanse them from sin? No, they had a blood sacrifice to deal with that. 
They killed a bull and uh, the ashes of the red heifer. They had a whole bunch of stuff that they did for the sin part of it. This is just a cleansing. Just wash. Just wash with water. Every time you come, you wash. A daily reminder of the fact that they were sinners. A daily reminder of the fact that we do touch unclean things. A daily reminder of the fact that we live amongst a people with unclean lips. Isn't it interesting in that passage that you have about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 that the Lord doesn't take blood from some altar and sprinkle it on Isaiah and say, okay, now, see, now you're, you're taken care of. He takes a live coal. It's no part of any, sacri- any ceremony dealing with sin, but it was a cleansing. It's the cleansing that's associated not with justification, but that with sanctification. That with our onward progression of holiness. The reformers called this daily repentance. Daily repentance. Repentance is not a one time for all act. Repentance is daily. We had a discussion last week, Sunday, and as I was writing this part of the, the, the sermon, I, I, I recalled that discussion. We, we were talking about the, the issue of purity and the issue of language. And, and you know, how do, how do we deal with the stuff in which we go through this world and all of a sudden, you know, somebody lets off words that, that are not repeatable from a pulpit, nor should they be repeated in any other form either. But, but they're repeated and we hear those words. What happened? Well, it's sort of like somebody sneezing on you, isn't it? Huh? It'd sort of be like me with my cold walking up to Micah and going, Hush you! You go, oh, yuck. Now what do I do? Maybe go home and take a bath. Right? Cleanse. What happens when we, we live in a world and in a society in which all of a sudden you're watching the news and somebody swears? It's like, it feels like somebody just sneezed on me. Or you're in Myers and you're standing there with your cart just innocently waiting. Okay? And all of a sudden some kids walk by and their language is just atrocious. And you're like, ah, just feel dirty all of a sudden. What do we do? Cleanse. How? Go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, the word entered my ears. I heard it. And and I probably repeated it, Lord, in my mind. And I I feel guilty over that. And so, Lord, I I confess that that was a wrong act. And I I confess, Lord, that I deal, I, I myself am a person of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And what does the Lord do? He cleanses. One of you, as a young people, were, were, you were troubled by that. How do I deal with that? It's a daily cleansing. So Lord, I heard your name misused today. And Lord, the reason it's affecting me is maybe I thought about that term way too long. I, I heard it and I just dwelt upon it. I thought about it. And, and Lord, that's, that's, it, it feels like Pastor Bob just sneezed on me. I feel like I'm going to be sick. You go to the Lord with a daily repentance. I think that's what Paul has in mind here when he says, since you have these promises, you are the temple of God. What happens? 
See, the good thing is that our hearts are still pricked by that. The encouraging thing is that there is a young person, several actually in our congregation, who when they hear foul language, recognize it as foul language, and feel affected by that. Praise God, they're a temple of God. See, it's the temples of God. They don't like to be sneezed on by the world. And when we are, we go to the Lord, cleansing ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Cleansing ourselves. Bringing holiness. See, it doesn't make us holy, but it brings us to holiness. This cleansing, this confession, this repentance on a daily, ongoing basis does what? Well, it's like the washing of the clothes of somebody who had mildew in their tent. It cleanses, and what does it do? It allowed them once again, to go back to the tabernacle and to worship. It brings us to holiness. Mentioned this a few weeks ago, the fact uh, of an older individual, a relative of several of you in the room this evening, said to me once, he said, Robert, the older I get, the more defiled I feel. At the time, I was a young pastor. I I really didn't have a good response. Now I do. My response would be, good. means you're getting closer to the Lord. Because the closer you get to the Lord, the closer you understand the holiness and the majesty of the Lord. You know what happens? The more you see sin in your heart, and in your life. And what do you do? Lord, I confess my sin before you. And the Lord cleanses us from all our sin. Amen? Amen. Father, help us to live as holy temples, as your temples in this week that lies before us. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen. If you take your...